We're not even to the halfway point of the 2022 season, but the Seahawks have to be feeling pretty darn good about the results of the Russell Wilson trade so far. Rob Rang and I are going to revisit where that trade stands and the status of the Seahawks and Broncos after six games on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me for Tell the Truth Tuesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, as always, greatly appreciate all the 12s out there that make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to be dishing out some hot takes for Tell the Truth Tuesday. Going to be looking at the NFC West playoff race, where things are shaping up, and of course, how the Denver Broncos are doing in the AFC West and how that impacts the Seahawks in the 2023 NFL Draft. We'll also be taking a look at the L.A. Chargers, the upcoming Week 7 opponent for the Seahawks. If you watched Monday Night Football, you got a little bit of a glimpse of them last night taking on the Broncos. We're going to take a look at what's new with Brandon Staley's team. This episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs, the most comfortable shorts, pants, and sweatpants with built-in liners. Go to birddogs.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and boom, a free Bird Dogs rope hat with your pair of bird dogs will be coming your way. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. We're only entering week seven. We had a long way to go until we know who truly won the Russell Wilson trade. But here we are after six games. The Seahawks are three and three. They're tied for first place in the NFC West. Meanwhile, Russell Wilson and company, after losing again in overtime last night to the Chargers, another low-scoring Output by that offense, just 16 points. They are sitting at two and four, third place in the AFC West, already two games out of first place in the division. And Rob, I know it's early, but with that loss, the Seahawks would have the seventh pick in the first round of next year's draft and a really high pick in the second round, too, as part of the deal for Russell Wilson. They'll get a first and second rounder just as they did this year in the draft. Things are shaping up pretty nicely for the Seahawks with the better record, better quarterback play to this point. The rookies are impacting games. They picked with the picks from the Broncos, and they've got those two really high picks they'd be slated to have next April. It looks like a big win so far for John Schneider and Pete Carroll. Corbin, for our YouTube watchers, this is my shocked face. You know, I mean, my my goodness. I mean, like, Hey, we, we thought that there's a possibility that Russell Wilson might struggle a little bit in Denver. He's going to be acclimating to a completely new offense, completely new uh, you know, type of players around him, and an offensive line that you know kind of had been very successful in the past when Teddy Bridgewater, who is kind of one of those check down Charlie type of quarterbacks, had helped boost their statistics in terms of pass protection. And yet suddenly when Russell Wilson's back there kind of scrambling and doing the things that can lead to magical plays down the field. It, it also can lead to a great deal of sacks. And, and so that's one of the things that we have seen here um, is that the Denver Broncos have struggled. Uh, as you mentioned, two and four, Seattle currently owning that number seven overall pick in the 2023 draft if the season was to end right now. And it's not because the Seahawks have struggled. It's because the Denver Broncos have struggled. That number seven overall pick 
would be because of the Broncos finishing where they are, at least right now. And, and so to me, that that is one of the fascinating things here is that we, we talk so much. There, there are so many national pundits out there who were just ready to throw dirt on the grave of Pete Carroll and John Schneider and just call them complete and total fools for trading away the future Hall of Fame quarterback that Russell Wilson is and continues to be, in my opinion. I think that he is that good. But at the same time, it takes time, uh, you know, for a, a new offense to gel. Seattle saw that a year ago, and Shane Waldron was their offensive coordinator um, with Russell Wilson. So, I, I think that to me is, is something that bears watching here for the Seahawks, and especially when you consider the, the the record, or excuse me, the schedule that the Denver Broncos have to face moving forward. Um, and so, and, and the fact that Seattle's rookie draft class, we'll talk about this a little bit more as we go. But Seattle's 2022 draft class looks unbelievable. And so to me, that is one of the real big storylines, not only here in Seattle, but across the all of the NFL that people need to be focusing on a little bit. Obviously, Rob, there's 11 games left on the schedule for both the Seahawks and the Broncos. They haven't had their bye week yet. So there's a lot of time for Russell, Russell Wilson to figure things out with Nathaniel Hackett, get that offense going. Their defense is one of the best in the NFL. So that's the thing that they have going for them. If the offense was even average, the Broncos would probably be 4-2. and two. They probably would have won that game against the Seahawks in week one. They had those couple fumbles in the red zone that killed them in that game, and they've consistently been shooting themselves in the foot. So there may be some reason for optimism, though if you've watched the last two games, those overtime contests against the Colts and last night against the Chargers, I'm – Far, far less optimistic that they're going to figure this out quickly with what I've seen the last two weeks. It's just been a disaster. They rank dead last in the NFL in points scored. They're near the bottom in yards, yards per play, points per play. Basically, every meaningful offensive statistic, they are near the bottom of the league. This has been an anemic offense. They've had some injuries. They lost their starting left tackle as well. So if things have just been ugly in the first six weeks, the Seahawks, they're reaping those rewards right now in the NFC West, not only exceeding expectations record-wise, the rookies are playing well. The two players they picked with the selections they got from the Broncos, Charles Cross and Boye Mafe, are both starting and playing well, and they get that first and second round pick next year. They're going to be quietly hoping for the Broncos to continue to struggle so they can get a top 10 pick. And Maybe the Seahawks can make the playoffs and still have a top 10 selection next year. The Eagles right now would have a top five pick and they're undefeated thanks to the Saints two and four starts. So it's really interesting seeing how those trades for first round picks right now would work out for a number of teams that made those moves. There's three teams in the top seven picks, Rob, that are going to be picking for selections that were traded to them. And so that really is interesting as a case study. Maybe holding on to your first round picks might be a smarter move at this point than trying to make those gambles for a proven player. Looking at the NFC West standings real quick, our weekly roundup, as we've mentioned, the Seahawks at three and three, they're tied for first place with the Rams and the 49ers, the Cardinals, a game behind them at two and four and looking at the playoff odds courtesy of 538.com and I will say this Rob these may have gone up just a slight tick for the Seahawks after the game last night since they do play against the Broncos and the Chargers this season they play the entire AFC West but right now their projected record is eight and nine with a 24 percent chance of making the playoffs a 12 percent chance 
of winning the division. The 49ers are the heavy favorites at 53% to win the NFC West. Right now, they would be the division champion because of tiebreakers. They beat the Seahawks and the Rams head-to-head. The Cardinals at just 7% right now, chance of winning the division, and just 12% making the playoffs, a 7-10 and projected record. As we've talked about, at 3-3, three and three, I mean, the Seahawks are right at 500. That is better than most people thought they would be at this point. And now they're heading into one of the toughest stretches of their season, at least record-wise. The Chargers are 4-2. and two. The Giants coming up the following week are 5-1, and one, maybe the biggest surprise in the entire NFL under first-year coach Brian Dable. So this truly is going to be a make or break next couple of weeks for the Seahawks to see whether they're a pretender or actually a contender in the NFC. Yeah, a couple of days ago, Corbin, you and I were kind of predicting about what might happen over the next five weeks of the season. And, and we, we talked about how there was a possibility that Seattle could go on a 5-0 run. We also talked about the possibility that Seattle could go 0-5 in, in those games. And, uh, you know, of course, losing the heartbreaker to New Orleans Saints a couple of weeks ago, coming back and having this impressive victory against the Arizona Cardinals. This was almost a must win. And I hate to say that. Because it's not even a Halloween yet. But still, it felt like it was a must win. And that was, to me, one of the most exciting things about the Seahawks' victory over the Arizona Cardinals is that it wasn't Geno Smith putting the team on his shoulders and and basically just outscoring the opposition as they did against New Orleans, as they did against Detroit, and arguably they did against Denver in the opener. Um, It was the defense stepping up, and that, to me, is the most exciting element of this because it feels like now you have Geno Smith, you have an absolutely spectacular young running back in Ken Walker III. You know you have the the unbelievable talents that are DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett at the wide receiver positions. If the defense can play any kind of ball at all, kind of the opposite of the Denver Broncos right now where defense is leading the way, if the Seahawks can continue this solid defensive play, then it really does feel like a playoff opportunity awaits for them. And of course, that's not just kind of wearing those Seahawk rose or Seahawk blue colored glasses. This is historically what Pete Carroll has done is be able to kind of reverse the early trends on the defensive side of the ball and play really good football down the stretch. So that's one of the reasons why I think the Seahawk fans should be getting pretty excited right now because it feels like the offensive is a lot farther along than a lot of people expected. And then while the defense has struggled, it's starting to figure things out. And it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to match up against the Los Angeles Chargers team that, as you just mentioned a moment ago, is coming off of victory, but they have struggled with injuries themselves. They are not playing up to expectations themselves. And of course, they're coming off of a short week playing on Monday night in an overtime game, you know, an overtime game as well. So again, this feels like a winnable opportunity for the Seahawks. And you know, Pete Carroll, he always he wants to he wants to win the entire country, but he certainly wants to control the West Coast. And, and he's going to have that opportunity here in just a couple more days. It's a chance to go to LA and get the win. Has not had a lot of success with the Seahawks playing in LA, his old stomping grounds at USC. Since really coming back to Seattle in 2010, that has been a struggle playing in Southern California. They'll look to buck that trend against the Chargers next Sunday. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We're going to dish out maybe some hot takes, some last-minute observations from Sunday's game, put a little bit of bow on that 19-9 victory for the Seahawks over the Cardinals. We'll get to those here coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs are the most comfortable clothing on the market, bar none. I wear one of my sweatpants, joggers, 
wear khakis nearly every day because they're like walking in a fluffy cloud. No joke. You can wear them to work out. You can wear them to work meetings. You can wear them rain or shine. It doesn't matter because they always feel great. Bird Dog pants are perfect for fall golf. You might not play like Tiger on a bender, but you'll feel just as good. Bird Dog joggers are higher quality than the Lululemon and $20 less what are we talking about here? Go buy some bird dogs. Still wear shorts in the winter. It doesn't matter if it's Florida or 10 degrees in New England or Chicago. They have their signature shorts with built-in liners, the most comfortable shorts in existence. Get them at birddogs.com by entering the promo code Locked On, and they'll throw in a free bird dogs rope hat. That's birddogs.com, promo code Locked On, and boom, a free bird dogs rope hat with your pair of bird dogs, the most comfortable shorts, pants, and sweatpants with built-in liners on the market. You will not take these things off, I can promise you. As you gear up for the fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders, and LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. As a former site manager and current podcast host, I've made plenty of hires over the years, and LinkedIn has always been a go-to for me to find top candidates in sports media. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Tell the Truth Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out Locked On's NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL. Locked On's local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games, including Sunday and Monday night football, plus betting advice from the field's leading experts over at Bet Online. Follow NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday. Rob, as we do each and every Tuesday, it's time to dish out some hot takes or some last-minute observations, putting a bow on the previous game. And it's always more fun when we're coming off of a win, which we are in this case, the Seahawks beating the Cardinals 19-9, a surprisingly defensive slugfest at Lumen Field. So I'm going to kick it over to you first, as we always do, and I'm going to open the mic up for you first. What is your first take here on Tell the Truth Tuesday? Well, Corbin, you know, with my background in personnel and focusing on the NFL draft and, you know, evaluating players, so often I, I kind of focus in on the players, the guys, the, the Jimmys and Joes rather than the X's and O's. But I really think that Shane Waldron, Seattle's offensive coordinator and play caller, deserves a great deal of credit for this last victory against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, again, I'm not going to be wearing those Seahawks glasses. I'm not just going to say that he was unbelievable. I really thought that Seattle should have used their running backs 
backs at the backfield as receivers a few more times. I think that that would have helped, uh, you know, slow down that Arizona Cardinals pass rush. But we talked about it, you know, leading up to this game against the Cardinals, that at least statistically, this was a team that struggled against the tight ends. So I, I love the fact that Seattle focused on their tight ends. Noah Fant led the team, tied with DK Metcalf, with seven targets in this game. Now, that, that's Noah Fant, not Will Disley, who, of course, in the first couple of weeks of the season had as many touchdowns as any tight end in all of the NFL. I like that Seattle was trying to get different players involved. I like the fact that we saw D. Eskridge have, you know, arguably his most effective game for the Seahawks, not only this year, but of his NFL career to this point. You saw Marquise Goodwin get involved with some clutch receptions. You know what you're going to get with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, of course. Of course, they were effective, and, and no question about it. When you have a running back like Ken Walker the third come in and have the spectacular performance that he did, sure, it makes the it makes it a lot easier to, to call games. But I, I love the fact that 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 Shane Waldron again called the play that he did. That you know kind of looked like a, a like a, the ball had been snapped over the head of Geno Smith. The quick little handoff to uh, Ken Walker the third. I mean, it's that type of play calling, the improvisation kind of a play calling that is going to confuse those dynamic inside linebackers that the Cardinals have. I mean, we, we talked before about Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins, the two inside linebackers who both are running in the four fours for the Cardinals. I mean, they were dynamic. They took over the game at times, but at the same time, one of the ways to slow down that speed is to force them to look in different directions. So to target the tight ends as much as Seattle did to do some of those kind of, you know, off the wall kind of play calls. I, I think that that is one of the biggest reasons why Seattle was able to kind of stun the Cardinals a little bit, get out to the early lead and allow their defense and that pass rush and that home crowd to be able to kind of seal the deal as the game went on. It was really impressive that the Seahawks were able to get their secondary weapons involved and the tight ends really, you know, maybe they were listening to Locked On Seahawks. Maybe Shane Waldron is one of our listeners because came right out immediately targeting the tight ends. And I know that Geno Smith, a couple of games they've done that, he has talked after the game about that being a focus and so clearly they knew that was an area that the Cardinals struggled. So kudos to Shane Waldron for not only identifying those weaknesses and attacking them, but also showing some creativity. Didn't always get the help from his players on the field necessarily executing the, the plays in this game. Give the Cardinals some credit too. I'm going to look at the offensive line, and this should not surprise anybody that has listened to our show because this isn't necessarily a new take for me, but it was just reconfirmed yesterday. The Seahawks have a better offense with Phil Haynes on the field. And I looked at that offensive line, and I'm just going to say this right now for the line in general. It was not a great game for them, but after getting to see the All-22 this morning, this is the first time I had access to the end zone camera, it was not as bad as I thought it was. There were certainly some missed plays against stunts and twists by the Cardinals. There were some missed blitz pickups in this game, but Overall, I thought the offensive line actually played a little better than I thought. Really, the run blocking was a bigger issue than the pass protection was. The Cardinals just played really good defense in a few of those plays, and Geno didn't have anywhere to go with the football more than anything. So give the Cardinals credit for that and how they handled DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But Phil Haynes, another really impressive start for this team. He gave up two pressures by my count, and it might have been one. One of them was kind of questionable, and it's subjective when you're talking about pressures. 
but he was the most consistent run blocker that they had in this game, by my estimation. Had some really nice plays where he knocked guys back off the line of scrimmage. You can see the power, the physicality he plays with. I just am not seeing this consistency when Gabe Jackson is in the lineup. There are too many plays where he has issues giving up quick pressures. The run blocking has been very inconsistent, and he's a much older player than Phil Haynes is. I just think at this point, and I was even arguing for this in training camp, I think Phil Haynes should be the guy at right guard. You're playing to make the playoffs right now. That'd be nice, but you're also playing for the future. Phil Haynes has a better chance to be part of that future given his youth and his upside. I think he should be in the lineup moving forward. Well, yeah, I've been a big big Phil Haynes fan for a long, long time, so I'm certainly not going to disagree with you on that. And again, I think that it's really easy to kind of enjoy the the highs and then bemoan the lows. And and so I I want to kind of take a step back here. And, uh, you know, while everybody is kind of applauding the Seahawks defense, and they certainly deserve applause i mean we, we talked about this um you know seattle kind of adjusted a little bit more to a bare front i mean we literally put it on youtube about how they were moving their alignment really taking advantage of the quickness of guys like puna ford and miles adams on the inside and just how much easier it made it to create some pressure to be able to allow your linebackers especially jordan brooks to be able to make some plays but at the same time, I also think that, you know, we've got to kind of check ourselves a little bit. The Arizona Cardinals just struggled a little bit. Um, you know, we kind of made the joke uh, that, that maybe Kyler Murray was playing a few more video games than he was watching game tape and really preparing. I, I thought that Cliff Kingsbury, a head coach, that, that he made some very questionable calls. I mean, 0 for 3 on fourth down kind of speaks for itself. When you have the most dynamic running quarterback in the NFL in all three of those fourth downs, he is dropping back from shotgun. You know, th- those are just some pretty questionable calls here. It felt like Arizona was doing the exact opposite of what I think that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks were doing. I think that Pete Carroll is a genius when it comes to recognizing what his players do well and basically catering his offense, his defense, his special teams to really accentuate his player strengths. I thought that Cliff Kingsbury and Arizona Carlos did the exact opposite of that. They took away what makes Kyler Murray special. Eno Benjamin, the running back, the, the starter in this game, you know, a, a pretty dynamic running back. Rondale Moore, uh, et cetera, Marquise Brown, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Marquise Brown, the, the play that Marquise Brown gets hurt is one where a guy who's 5'11 and 170 pounds is trying to high point a ball rather than use his straight line speed to go over the top or, you know, on some of these kind of routes that are going to take advantage of his straight line speed is his change of direction. I think that the Seahawks deserve a great deal of credit. And I think, again, the 12s absolutely deserve a great deal of credit for this past victory. But I also think the Arizona Cardinals, and I hate that some will perceive this as a little bit of bulletin board material because obviously Seattle and Arizona are going to be facing off in a couple of weeks here. I thought the Arizona Cardinals basically just dropped this game that did not look like they had prepared for what the Seahawks were likely to do, and that's why they are now in last place in the NFC West Division. Interesting take, and it's kind of the opposite of what I was talking about the offensive line, that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And then you go back and you watch the All-22, and you're thinking there were some missed opportunities for the Arizona Cardinals on offense in this game, and they did shoot themselves a foot. They had a lot of possessions where they got – fairly deep into Seattle territory and got no points to show for it. 
in a low-scoring game, that is going to end up hurting you, and that's exactly what happened. So kudos to the Seahawks for their defense, and it was much better than what we had seen, but the Cardinals contributed to that with a lot of the self-inflicted mistakes they were making, the questionable play calls. I'm going to be much more positive on this particular one at the cornerback position. We've talked about it time and time again, but why would I stop talking about Tariq Woolen with the way that he is playing right now, the history that he made in this football game, a fourth interception, an interception in four straight games. Brandon Browner is the last Seahawk that did that in 2011. Seven players have done that in franchise history. Only 14 rookies have accomplished that in the entire history of the NFL. And oh, by the way, the Seahawks made sure to put this up with their PR Twitter account. He is also the only player, the only rookie since 1970 to have two straight games where he had an interception and a fumble recovery. I mean, the kid just continues to amaze, and his coaches and teammates alike are talking about how he still seems like he's trying to figure out the position. He's still trying to learn. I think it was Quandre Diggs that said he's out there, doesn't really know what he's doing, and yet he hasn't given up a touchdown. His passer rating against for the year, according to Pro Football Focus, is less than 40. That's for the entire season. He's got four interceptions. He's got two fumble recoveries. You're already seeing quarterbacks shy away from him most of the game. He's getting the Richard Sherman treatment a lot of the game. Kyler Murray was not looking over towards him for a good chunk of that game on Sunday, and for good reason. Every time quarterbacks are picking on him right now, he is making them pay. So he is not just a top defensive rookie of the year candidate. Rob, I think he is squarely in the mix to be an all-pro selection right now. Try to name three or four corners that are playing better than him on the outside. There, I can't think of them. You know, James Bradbury's been fantastic for the Eagles. There's been a few other corners putting up really good numbers. But you put the tape, you put the stats up compared to all the other corners in the league right now. Treek Woolen has been a top three, top four corner, which would guarantee that he's at least a second team all-pro selection. I would be voting for him right now, not just because I do a Seahawks podcast, but because he has been one of the elite corners as a rookie, as a fifth round pick, he deserves to be in that discussion. Yep. That's about all I can say. I mean, I 100% <laughs> agree with you. I think that Tariq Woolen, again, it not only should be the easy slam dunk defensive rookie of the year right now, similar to Micah Parsons for Dallas Cowboys a year ago, um, but yes, he, he should be very much in the conversation for all pro or at least pro bowl honors. Do I expect that he's going to get that? No. Because I don't think that the Seahawks necessarily are going to be as statistically relevant at the end of the season. Maybe they're going to be a playoff contender. Maybe not. But if Tariq Woolen continues to play at this level, then frankly, I don't give a damn. I, I think that it kind of goes back to when Cortez Kennedy won NFL defensive MVP honors, you know, for a team that finished with two victories all the way back in the early 90s. Like Tariq Woolen has been that darn good. And so I think that he deserves that kind of consideration in it. You know, kind of it, it's a, a nice segue, uh, you know, to how good I think that Pete Carroll has been. And again, I, I mentioned this before that there were just so many people who were eager to kind of, you know, throw some dirt on Pete Carroll and John Schneider, um, you know, after the Russell Wilson trade and, and the fact that Seattle obviously has not been able to get back to the Super Bowl as they did those first couple of years, of Russell Wilson and the Legion of Boom's career together. But I, I'd ask you to think about this. And we talked about this in a previous show, Corbin, that 
you know, just how rare, how unusual it is that any NFL team, any NFL head coach is able to find that next franchise quarterback. But when Pete Carroll first came to Seattle, he had Matt Hasselbeck as his quarterback, and they wound up going to the playoffs all the way back in, in 2010. Uh, then he had, of course, uh, you know, Jack, uh, uh, Tavares Jackson was the quarterback. They went they went seven and nine that year. Did not finish in the playoffs, but still won seven games with a quarterback that a lot of people viewed as you know basically a journeyman backup type of a guy. Obviously, all the success that they had with Russell Wilson. If this team is even in sniffing distance of the playoffs with Geno Smith, another quarterback that a lot of people have basically thrown around, myself included, sometimes as kind of just a journeyman, just a stopgap to the next guy. And they're competing for the playoffs again. Corbin, I really think that Pete Carroll is basically just polishing off his pro football Hall of Fame credentials here. I, I think that it's been a very impressive performance. Now, again, Seahawks have to continue to play well. They've got to have the defensive turnaround that we've seen this club have the last couple of games. But I really have been impressed by the creativity on all sides of the, of the field uh, for the Seahawks. And again, this rookie class, Give John Schneider a great deal of credit and his scouts, but who in the NFL coaching realm right now would have the courage to start a very raw quarterback like the aforementioned Tariq Woolen and be able to have these exploits that we, we've seen so far? To me, Pete Carroll, again, deserves an awful lot of credit for what the Seahawks have been able to do so far. And really, that's a perfect segue into my last Tell the Truth Tuesday take for today. Talking about this draft class, we keep throwing all the guys that were actually drafted out there, and rightfully so. I mean, Boy Mafe has been impressive in his couple starts. We've seen what Ken Walker III has done in his opportunities. Getting great play from Charles Cross and Abe Lucas as your starters at the tackle positions. And Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, all the forced fumbles, thinking he's Peanut Tillman out there. But I want to give another kid some name recognition because we have been bashing the Seahawks on special teams the last couple of weeks, and we should be. There's been a lot of mistakes that you just can't have on Sundays. But Joey Blunt, the undrafted rookie out of Virginia, he deserves some name recognition as part of this heralded 2022 draft class. In my opinion, aside from maybe Jason Myers with how well he's kicking the football, this has been the second best special teams player for the Seahawks for the last three or four games. He is flying down the field and kicking punt coverage. And this is what they've been so good at the last couple of years. And then preseason, they were terrible in kick and punt coverage. But this kid has been down there making pretty much every tackle. He's got four of them the last two games on kick and punt coverage. He's got a 75 grade on pro football focus, a pretty impressive grade on special teams, just flying all over the place. And he is making his mark in the third phase of the game. So I'd be remiss not to mention him. He deserves some name recognition. He has been fantastic on special teams for them, even while he's dealt with a few soft tissue injuries during the early stages of his first NFL season. We've got a big matchup against the LA Chargers coming up on Sunday. We're going to take a look at what's new, some additions, departures, injuries, and of course, Rob's favorite part of the segment, draft picks, looking at some of the rookies that are playing valuable snaps for the Chargers heading into this week seven matchup. We're going to get to that here in a moment. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source 
for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, boxing, and golf, is to head straight to betonline.net. Use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Tell the Truth Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corwin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We greatly appreciate all the 12s out there that make Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. Well, it's time to shift gears. We've had an opportunity the last couple of days to break down this big win in the NFC West for the Seahawks over the Cardinals, but the show must go on. Just as the players turn the page, start watching the film, preparing for an upcoming opponent, it is time for us to do that and take a look at what's new with the Los Angeles Chargers. And Rob, this is kind of a unique situation. A lot of times we don't have a Monday night game with the upcoming opponent. That doesn't happen very often, but we got to celebrate, bask in this Seahawks victory and the other t- team that they're getting ready to play had not played yet. So we got to do some scouting last night on this Chargers team. And boy, did they have a lot of changes this offseason. Some high-profile names coming in, particularly on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, it's pretty exciting from a Chargers perspective, all the big names that they brought in. Um, you know, of course, I think you have to start off with the the dynamic duo in terms of a pass rusher and Khalil Mack. Of course, they were hoping to be able to pair him with Joey Bosa, who fortunately for the Seahawks is injured and is not going to be able to play in this game. But Khalil Mack is still Khalil Mack, a, a dominant performer as an edge rusher. And I said the dynamic duo because behind him, the Los Angeles Chargers brought in the best cornerback on the free agent market in J.C. Jackson from the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, and, and so to me, that is really where this the, the story kind of begins here for the Los Angeles Chargers. But you also have former Seahawk Gerald Everett, the tight end position. He played a fairly prominent role um, in the Chargers victory over the Broncos on Monday night. Sony Michelle, who again, a lot of Seahawks fans are going to be very familiar with his time with the Los Angeles Rams a year ago when they won the title, previously a first round pick ahead of Rashad Penny uh, with the New England, excuse me, right behind Rashad Penny with the New England Patriots a few years ago. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, uh, previously with the New England Patriots as well. Sebastian Joseph Day, defensive tackle, previously at the Los Angeles Rams. This is a L.A. Chargers team that really brought in a great deal of veteran players. I think they were expecting to be making a bit of a Super Bowl run at this point. But, you know, this is a club that, at least based on record, doesn't look like they're that much more impressive than the Seahawks right now. It makes up for a very interesting matchup for the Seahawks, especially considering the Chargers did eke out that victory last night against the Denver Broncos in overtime based on a you know, a fumbled punt or a fumbled punt, um, you know, and kind of got a lucky victory there in some respects. It feels like Seattle is facing a team right now that is feeling pretty good because they got the victory at the same time. Doesn't look as impressive as their name, as their hype in the offseason might suggest. Yeah, this is a team that was really getting a lot of Super Bowl buzz coming into the season with a young quarterback in Justin Herbert that everybody expected to take that next step 
towards becoming one of the NFL's elite under center and the weapons at his disposal and adding to their defensive arsenal. Now, I will say this, Khalil Mack looks like the pre-Chicago Bears Khalil Mack. And I would say even the pre-his second season in Chicago. He had some injuries. He was still good, but he was not the defensive player, the year caliber player his last couple of years in Chicago. He has been dynamite so far for the Chargers J.C. Jackson has been the exact opposite, and a lot of that's been they're doing different things with him in coverage that he did in New England, and it doesn't seem like it's fitting with his skill set very well. He got benched yesterday in the second half of that game, and they threw him almost $20 million per year in free agency. So that's like the worst nightmare scenario when you pay a guy that kind of money, and he comes out and just absolutely gets blitzed, gave up a touchdown in coverage yesterday. You and I both know, though, that J.C. Jackson is an incredibly talented player, and all it's going to take is them making some adjustments, I think, to better suit what he's good at, and he's still going to be a difference maker for them in the secondary. But they have underachieved some on defense, and you mentioned not having Joey Bosa. He is not going to be available in this game. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas should be dancing in the locker room right now. Now, you still have to deal with Khalil Mack, but imagine having to deal with both those guys that is a significant loss. And I think there's another noteworthy loss that impacts Seattle's pass rushers. Rashawn Slater, who was the first round pick two years ago out of Northwestern, he is on injured reserve too and will not play in this game. And they're starting a sixth round rookie from Georgia in his place. So that would be big advantage for the Seattle Seahawks heading into this contest. The injuries are certainly a factor. If Keenan Allen can't play in this game, he's been dealing with a hamstring injury, his status up in the air. I mean, there's some significant injuries that would really be potentially outcome altering here. We know a couple of those guys won't be out there for the Chargers, and they're just trying to get healthy right now. Yeah, and Corbin, in the last segment there, you just kind of mentioned Tariq Woolen as a possible all-pro at the cornerback position. That's exactly where Sean Slater was for the Chargers last year as a first-round pick. You just don't see rookies come into the NFL. And it's all the more impressive because Slater sat out the 2021, or excuse me, the 2020 season at Northwestern prior to his being their first round selection a year ago was absolutely dynamic as the blindside pass protector for Justin Herbert. One of the biggest reasons why a lot of people were expecting Herbert to take that next step up. But as you mentioned, Jamari Sawyer is now the left tackle for the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, Sawyer is a good player. But 6'3", 325 pounds, he's built a little bit more like a guard than your traditional offensive tackle. He does have good foot quickness. He does have at least decent arm length. But at the same time, again, he is not the dancing bear that Rashawn Slater is. That should be something that Seattle should be able to take advantage of. I think Chenna Nuosu, former Chargers player, is going to have a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of, chip on his shoulder to be able to kind of come into this game and, and be able to teach the rookie a thing or two off the edge. So again, that, that's something that I think that we're going to have some fun with uh, during our, our, our Wednesday uh, matchup segment here. So to me, that is the most significant loss for the chargers. Um, I mentioned Sawyer at the left tackle position, the right guard Zion Johnson, the player that we talked about a lot from Boston college is perhaps being a fit for the Seahawks. 
you know, Zion Johnson is exactly what you want in a guard. He has a similar frame. Is that 6'3", 325 pounder Sawyer at left tackle. But with Zion Johnson, so much of it in his lower half, he gets that push. Um, the, the Seahawks were able to absolutely blanket uh, the Arizona's Cardinals running game. You know, other than Kyler Murray, who had some pretty spectacular runs, but their running backs basically were left to about a two and a half to three yard average per carry. That to me is going to be a big factor in this game against the Chargers. Zion Johnson is going to try and create some push if Seattle is effective in slowing down the interior running game against the Chargers as they were against the Cardinals. Then I think that Seattle could walk into LA. And we almost got through the show without Rob freezing, and it does happen. So didn't want you to give your last minute tip, but we know that we've got Zion Johnson starting at guard for the Chargers. Corey Lindsley missed last night's game with food illness, with food poisoning, I would expect that he is going to have a good chance to be able to bounce back and play on Sunday. And that's one of the better centers in football. So that would be a huge boost to protect Justin Herbert and open up the run game. The Seahawks will probably have to deal with him. They might have to deal with Keenan Allen. We're going to know more as the week progresses, but certainly both teams are going to have some injury questions. I think the Chargers have the most pressing ones going into this football game. There's always some surprises on the injury report, though. We'll know that as we get deeper into the week. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have our weekly matchup Wednesday. A lot of really fun matchups, especially with some of the injuries that the Chargers have had, some of those guys potentially coming back. That's going to create some intriguing matchups on both sides of the football as the Seahawks prepare to head down to L.A. and face the Chargers. I'm Corbin Smith. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. And make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. We'll be back tomorrow on the airwaves as well as video form on YouTube with our matchup Wednesday. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.